Welcome to New Life Assembly of God Media Ministry. We are glad that you are here. We believe the Word of God is relevant and life-changing, and we hope you can be blessed by this message. If you take your scriptures in hand and turn with us to Luke chapter 11, we're going to be reading verses 9 through 13. Uh, this morning, we're continuing our series on uh, Pentecost called The Promise, and next week is actually Pentecost Sunday, and uh, we're believing the Lord to pour His Spirit out in even greater measure, but we're continuing our series this morning with a message titled, Ask and You Shall Receive. Ask and You Shall Receive. You know, there's a fable told about a man named Mr. Jones who dies and goes to heaven. And as legend has it, Peter is waiting at the gate to welcome him and give him a tour. Amid the splendor of the golden streets, the beautiful mansions and choirs of angels that Peter shows him, Mr. Jones notices an odd-looking building, like an enormous warehouse with no windows and only one door. When he asks to see inside, Peter hesitates and says, you don't really want to see what's in there. And he tells the new arrival, let's look at some more of the glories of heaven. But Jones wonders, why would there be any secrets in heaven? What incredible surprise could be waiting in there? When the official tour of heaven is completed, Jones is still wondering, so he asks Peter again to see inside the building. Finally, Peter relents at his persistence and he opens the door and Mr. Jones almost knocks Peter over in order to run through the entrance. And it turns out that the enormous building is filled with row after row, floor to ceiling, each stacked with white boxes tied with red ribbons and names affixed to each box. Mr. Jones comments to Peter, these boxes all have names on them. Turning to Peter, he asked, do I have one? And Peter says, yes, you do, as Peter tries to guide Mr. Jones back outside of the warehouse. But Mr. Jones is already dashing towards the aisle with the J on it to find his box. And Peter follows, shaking his head. He catches up to Mr. Jones just as he has reached his box, taken it down, and is slipping the red ribbon off and lifting the lid. Looking inside, Jones has a moment of instant recognition, and he lets out a deep sigh like the one Peter has heard so many times before because there in Mr. Jones' white box are all the unclaimed blessings that God wanted to give him while he was here on earth, but Mr. Jones had never asked. It's awful quiet in here. <laughs> Ask, promised Jesus, and it will be given unto you. James 4.2 says, you have not because you ask not. Boy, you get an A this morning. You're, you're on ball. But even though this story's a fable, it does depict an all-too-common reality. There are many blessings that God wants to give us as his children, but we never receive because we don't ask. And that is certainly true of the blessings 
of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Read with me, if you will, Luke chapter 11. We're going to read verses 9 through 13. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone, who? Does that include you? All right. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Folks, if you are a child of God, if you have committed your life to Christ and repented of your sins, if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, then this promise is for you. And it's one of the most wonderful promises in Scripture, assuring us that God hears and answers the prayers of his children. But more specifically, it is a promise that our Heavenly Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who do what? Ask him. To who? Everyone who asks him. Now, at salvation... You don't ask for the Holy Spirit, right? You ask for forgiveness of sins. You ask for new life in Christ. And you ask for salvation. And the moment you do that, the Holy Spirit does come to live inside of you and you are born again. He makes you spiritually alive. But there is an experience of the Holy Spirit beyond salvation, which the scripture often refers to as the baptism with the Holy Spirit or being filled with the Spirit. And it is the promise of the Father to every believer, but he says we must ask for it. Jesus says the Father will give the Holy Spirit to his children if we ask him if we ask him. He goes so far as to say that everyone who asks shall receive. And of course, we've mentioned this before, but the verbs in this passage are in the progressive tense, which means they're a continual action. Everyone who keeps on asking will receive. Everyone who keeps on seeking will find. And to everyone who keeps on knocking, the door will be open. Amen? So what am I saying? I'm saying don't just ask once and give up. Keep on asking until you receive. Because he says everyone who asks receives. Say to your neighbor, everyone. That means you. That means me. Everyone. Amen? So we want to claim God's promised blessing of the Holy Spirit for our lives. We don't want it to be up in a box in, in a warehouse in heaven as an unclaimed blessing, right? I want everything God has for me, amen? And I especially want this wonderful gift called the Holy Spirit. So today we're going to be talking about asking and receiving the Spirit. 
and he compares it to children asking their parent for a gift. So we're gonna talk about asking and receiving this wonderful promise, this wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit. And the first thing I want us to see is the baptism in the Holy Spirit is a gift promised to every believer. And look at verse 13 again. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So the Holy Spirit is given to God's children. That means we have a relationship with him. We have accepted Jesus Christ because the Bible says that to as many as believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, to them he gave the right to be called children of God. So we're talking about people who are saved. So the Holy Spirit is the gift of the Father to his children, and he gives this gift to those who ask him. So the, the Holy Spirit is one of the best gifts that the Father wants you to have. God wants to give this wonderful gift to all of his children. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a gift that God wants you to have. Now, just before Jesus ascended into heaven, he commanded his followers, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. And we know that just a few days later, the Father sent that gift on the day of Pentecost, poured out his Holy Spirit, and 120 believers got baptized in the Holy Ghost, and he continues to give that gift today. Because we see also in the book of Acts six more times, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is called the gift of the Spirit or the gift of God. And we see believers throughout the book of Acts experiencing this wonderful gift. The emphasis is on the fact that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, however, is a gift. What does that speak of? It speaks of the fact that this is something that God freely gives to us out of his kindness, out of his mercy. And it doesn't depend on our worth. It doesn't depend on, you know, we have to be saved for a certain amount of years and we have to go to church, so, you know, and, and we have to be lit. No, it's a free gift. We can't earn it. We can't deserve it the same way with salvation, right? Salvation was a free gift. We could never earn that. We could never deserve it. And likewise, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a free gift. It's not something we could ever earn or deserve. I want you to think of it this way. Can you imagine a loving husband giving his wife a beautiful diamond necklace? Wives, this is when you elbow your husband, all right? But then, this you do not want to do, she opens her purse and she takes up out a few crumpled dollar bills and coins and she insists on giving it to him. She's forcing it into his hands. Now, first of all, those crumpled bills and coins could never pay the value of that diamond necklace. And in addition, her husband would be hurt and insulted because if you are insisting on paying for it, you're not receiving it as a gift, right? It's no longer a gift. In the same way, we can't earn or deserve God's gift, whether that gift is salvation or that gift is the baptism in the Holy Spirit, amen, or any of God's other promised blessings in the Bible. We can't earn or deserve any of them. They are a gift, and they can only be received by faith. We could never deserve them. We could never be good enough for them. So all of God's gifts are given by grace, the undeserved goodness of God 
towards us. So the fact that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a gift means that it is given out of the kindness and the goodness of God without regard to our worth or our works or our merit. There's nothing in us that deserves the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It's just a gift. We can never earn God's gifts. We can never deserve God's gift. God doesn't bestow his gifts based on our goodness, but on his goodness. Amen? This takes the gifts of the Holy Spirit off of the top shelf and makes them available to everybody. Because sometimes we see the gift of the Holy Spirit as up here out of our reach only for some super spiritual people, right? But God says, no, take it down off of the top shelf and put it where everybody can reach it because it is simply a gift that is received by faith. You don't have to be a super saint. All you have to be is a child of God who asks. And grace doesn't depend on anything in us. It flows out of the goodness of God. And God delights in giving good gifts to his people, especially the gift of the Holy Spirit. But one hindrance that often keeps believers from receiving the gift of the Spirit is that they feel that they're not worthy enough. They're not good enough. They're not spiritual enough. They feel that, oh, that's just for the pastor. Oh, that's just for the worship leaders or whatever. That's just for the missionary or the evangelist. But it's not. He said, everyone, no conditions, everyone who asks shall receive. One writer states it this way, the fact of the matter is that the more unworthy you feel and the greater sinner you consider yourself to be, the more fit you are to receive the Holy Spirit. Because God's gifts are given only to those who feel themselves most unworthy to receive them. If you have repented of your sins, it doesn't matter how unworthy or unfit or useless you see yourself. God wants to give you the Holy Spirit. Amen? Now, when we understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a gift that is freely given by God's grace, we realize that receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit is no more difficult than receiving the gift of salvation. And what did you have to do to receive the gift of salvation? Nothing. Just repent of your sins and say, God, forgive me and come and live inside of me. And you were saved. The Bible says that moment you were saved. That's how easy it is to receive the baptism in the Holy Ghost. Amen. A second principle we see the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a good gift that we should all desire. That we should all desire. You know, we tend to have a natural fear of the unknown. And for that reason, some people are afraid to ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They're afraid that they're going to receive something bad, something weird. Jack Hayford, uh, who was a spirit-filled pastor for many years uh, in Church on the Way in Van Nuys, California, tells of his own fear of the Holy Spirit. He compares his anxiety to that of a man sitting in an empty church building down towards the front. And suddenly the back door creaks open and someone, a dark figure, slips in. And as the man at the front of the church sits quietly, he is scared in his pew. The newcomer that slipped in slowly moves towards the place where the man is sitting. Finally, when the man least expects it, the newcomer suddenly grabs him and shouts, gotcha! <laughs> he said, that's the way I used to fear the Holy Spirit. 
I read of an elder in another church who prompted by fear said, we don't want none of that Holy Spirit stuff here. You know, sometimes people just, they're gripped by fear of the unknown. Fear. Not realizing that a church without the Holy Spirit is a church without the presence of God. A lifeless church, a powerless church, amen? But we don't need to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because God only gives good gifts. I want you to pay attention again to the words of Luke in verses 11 through 13. Your fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? I mean, if your children say, give me this to eat, are you going to give them something that's harmful? A snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, are you going to give them a scorpion to sting them and kill them? I'm elaborating here a little bit. That's not in there. But Jesus says, of course not. So if you sinful parents know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Folks, just think about it for a moment. Your heavenly Father loves you, and he is the perfect parent. Amen? And if an earthly parent wouldn't give their child something that would harm them on a on normal basis. We know there's some parents that unfortunately may be, um, you know, mentally ill or something and, and may have come from an abusive background, whatever. But on a, on a normal basis, uh, a parent would never give their child something intentionally that would hurt them. Am I right? So why would our Heavenly Father ever give us something to hurt? Amen? The Holy Spirit is a good gift. So how much more will our Heavenly Father who is good and he is perfect. He will give good gifts unto his children, the chief of which is the Holy Spirit. But you know, some people, they're afraid of tongues. They think, what if it's just gibberish? What if I only speak a few syllables and it's nonsense? What if it sounds strange to other people? If you're praying to God for this wonderful gift, He's not going to give you something false or fake. Hello? And it might sound like gibberish to you, but most foreign languages don't make any sense to us. It sounds like gibberish to us. You may only speak a few syllables at first, but remember when you were first learning to talk as a baby. Hello? Dada? Mama? That's about all you could say. So when we first get baptized in the Holy Spirit, we may initially only speak a few syllables that really don't make much sense to us, but that's okay. The Holy Spirit is beginning to move on us, and we're beginning to, to learn how to surrender to him and allow him to speak through us. And as you continue to seek him and surrender to him, then that prayer language is going to flow freely through you at all times and that you want to speak. Don't worry what other people will think. Because sometimes what gets us down here is, oh, what if I start crying? I've seen people start shaking. Oh, I've seen some people jump. I've seen, what if I start? And then people will start, my family will start thinking. Don't worry about what anybody else thinks about you. It's about what God wants to do in you. And when he gives you the initial evidence of speaking in other tongues, that's your prayer language. That's not for anybody else. That's for you.
Now, later on, as the gifts of the Spirit flow through you, then he may give you a tongue accompanied by interpretation that is for the body. But initially, it's just for you because it's like a hotline to heaven where you can directly communicate to God because the Holy Spirit is touching your spirit and is praying through your spirit to God. Amen? So don't be afraid of tongues. Don't be afraid what other people will think. It is a good gift. It's a wonderful gift. Amen? Now, as I said, some people are afraid the Holy Spirit will make them act crazy. But I want you to know something. The Holy Spirit doesn't make you act anyway. The Bible says that the, the Spirit is subject unto the Spirit of the prophet, which means that we have control at all times. Amen? So we don't have to go, you know, all crazy and, you know, making a scene. We have control. But when the Holy Spirit moves on you, it's such a wonderful experience of the power and presence of God that we generally are going to have a response. The response is not the Holy Spirit. It's the way we are reacting to the experience. For instance, if you touch a live electrical wire, you're going to feel something. And you may shout, you may scream, you may jump, you may fall down on the ground as some people did here today. Your reaction is not the electricity. It is your response to experiencing the electricity. Am I right? So the Holy Spirit is not going to force you to act any way you don't want to act. All right? But when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to experience a very real and tangible presence of God. Let me, let me illustrate it this way. When we were first introduced to Pentecost and the things of God, it was through the death of my brother and a lady that was a, 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 a Pentecostal lady that was a friend of our families. And so um, she had been teaching us some of the things of God and explaining to us some of the things of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it was Christmas Eve. I was, I think, about 11 years old. And we had gathered at my aunt's house with another Lebanese family that was in this group that this Pentecostal lady had been ministering to. So the other Lebanese family, they had some girls that were about my age and my sister's age, but they had left them at home with a friend from next door. And they came on their own. So we're all there, and about midnight, they got a call from their daughters, and their daughters began to explain that they were playing church because they had visited a Pentecostal church and you know some of the stuff was a little curious for them so they had been playing church and the girl from next door who she was from a, 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 for lack of a better term a family that was very into sin you know her mother was with men and everything, so she didn't have any church background all right but they started playing church and you know the sincerity of a child right Jesus said that if we want to come into the kingdom we need to come like a little child so that's what they did all right one of them took one of those big 50-pound Bibles, which is the only one that that family had in the house, all right? You know, the one you never read. You just put it out for display, and it's got dust on it. But that's all they had. So one of the kids took that Bible, opened it up, and read a scripture. Another one of them read the only Christian song they knew, uh, or sang the only Christian song they knew, which was Amazing Grace. So they sang that song. Then the littler of the sisters, I think she was 12, she decided she was going to do what she had seen them do in this Pentecostal church. She laid her hands 
on one of the other girls and they fell on the ground. Then she laid her hands on the other girl and she fell on the ground. But it was for real and they got scared. So in the middle of the night, they're calling the house where we are and they're saying to their parents, come home right away, we don't know what's going on. And, you know, so their parents say, we gotta go, we gotta go. So my dad, cause my dad was, it, it, my dad was in this church for many years after he got saved and many of you know, he was kind of like stoical, you know, he doesn't show a lot of emotion. He was kind of skeptical about the stuff, you know, about Pentecostal stuff and people being slain in the spirit and speaking in tongues and all that stuff. So anyway, but he was curious. So he said to this Arabic man, he said, if you go, and it's real, call us, we'd like to come and see it. <laughs> All right? It's snowing outside, we were in Oklahoma, it's snowing outside, it's after midnight, they drive across town to their home, they get there. Now, I don't know how many of you know about the Arabic culture, but you think Spanish men are macho. <laughs> Arabic men take it to a whole other level. All right? So he goes in there and he wants to test out whether or not this is real. So he goes up to his daughter and he says, put your hands on me. So she puts her hands on him and he gets knocked out. <laughs> and his wife starts calling us to tell us it's for real. But then in the middle of it, he, the, the father wakes up, his name was Albert. And he's saying, this is not right. If anyone is to have power in this house, it is me. I am the man, I am the father. You know, so they hear this all going on in the background, you know. <laughs> By now it's about two o'clock in the morning. We all pile into cars, my aunt and her family, my, our family, and we drive across town in the snow. In, and they called the Pentecostal lady in the middle of the night and said, something's going on. You have to meet us at Albert's house. So she just threw on her winter coat over her pajamas <laughs> and she drove to that house. Well, you know, when we got there, you know, um, this 12-year-old kid started laying hands on us and we were getting slain in the spirit, but my dad was kind of, hmm, yeah, you know, it's just, you know, emotion and it's this, that, and the other. So he decides he's gonna prove it to be fake, you know, so. You know, my dad, he was six foot tall, weighed about 250 pounds. Y'all who, who were here when he was alive know him. So he walks up to this little girl and he says to her, he says, honey, you pray for me. And he expects nothing to happen, you know. So he said, honey, you pray for me. And so she laid her hands on him and she prayed and, and nothing happened that time. And he walked away and inside he smugly said, I knew it, I knew it wasn't real. So he went outside to smoke a cigarette. He wasn't saved at the time. He went outside to smoke a cigarette and um, something compelled him to come back in and have her pray for him again. So he came up to this little girl and he said to her, he said, honey, why don't you pray for me again? The way he described it is when she put her hands on him, he said it was like 220 volts of electricity went through his body. He fell backwards. That family, because they were not yet saved, they had a bar in their house filled with liquor bottles. The bar fell over, liquor bottles went flying everywhere, breaking everything like that. My dad could not stand up the rest of the night. It took my uncle and that other Lebanese man to lift my father up, put him on a chair, and every time he went to stand up, it's like this electricity would hit him. It was like God saying, you, you, you wanna say it's not real? I'm proving to you that it's real, <laughs> you know? And that night, that little 12-year-old girl got baptized in the Holy Ghost. Her sister got baptized in the Holy Ghost. The little girl from next door, from this unsaved, sinful family lifestyle, got baptized in the Holy Ghost. The little 12-year-old girl started to prophesy. Now, this is a girl that was not raised in church. But she started to prophesy, and you could tell that it was God that was speaking. And she said, the next time you all gather, 
all the young people, this was a prophetic word, all the young people here, but none of the adults are going to get baptized in the Holy Ghost. That was Christmas. On New Year's Eve, this Pentecostal lady said, my husband and I, we're going to be um, fasting and praying over New Year's for the coming year, and uh, we'd like you to come over. So our families all went over there, except for my two cousins. They were about our age, but they were at work, and they were going to join us later. So when we got there, um, she started, you know, just welcoming the presence of the Lord. She sang beautifully, had an organ, so she would play and sing hallelujah, hallelujah, you know, the chorus, and just welcome the presence of the Lord there. And before you know it, I got baptized in the Holy Ghost. My sister got baptized in the Holy Ghost. My cousins walked in late from work, and within five minutes, they got baptized in the Holy Ghost. All the young people there that night got baptized in the Holy Ghost, but none of the adults. Amen. But I just say that to say this, you know, um, it's real. It's real. You may not think it's real. Sometimes if, you, if you've not experienced it, you may look back and you may think, man, that's just emotionalism or why is that necessary, whatever. But when you experience the incredible power and presence of God, it's going to come upon you and you're going to have a reaction to it. Amen? There's an old praise song that we used to sing that said, when the Spirit of the Lord moves upon my heart, I will sing like David sang. I will dance like David danced. I will shout like David shout. Amen? Because you know what? When the Spirit of God came upon David, he danced so wildly that he lost even his kingly robes. And, and, and he was, uh, it said naked, but it was just like stripped down to his undergarments uh, before the people of Israel. And his wife was criticizing him. What a shame. Look how you're embarrassing yourself in front of everybody. But you know what David said? I'll be even more undignified than this for my God. Amen? Praise the Lord. But I want you to notice what it said. When the Spirit of the Lord moves upon my heart, I will. So the Spirit moves upon us, but we have a choice how we respond. Amen? And even when we're being baptized in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit moves upon us. We'll begin to feel stammering lips. We'll begin to feel our tongue like heavy and changing. And we can choose not to let the Holy Spirit flow and just clamp down. Or we can say, yes, Lord, just do what you want to do through me and let the Holy Spirit flow. But the Holy Spirit will not violate your will. He'll not make you do anything you do not want to do. You know, one of the symbols of the Holy Spirit in the Bible is a dove which unlike other birds of prey, doves have a very gentle and meek quality. If you try to, to um, run away one of those, you know, those vultures that prey on, you know, dead animals or what, if they're eaten, they're not going to run away, right? The other day I was walking in my neighborhood. I, I walk regularly for exercise. I was walking in my neighborhood, and I think one of the birds had a nest somewhere nearby because she was dive bombing me. And I'm trying to walk as fast as I can. There she comes, zoom. And I'm like, no, get away. And I'm walking, zoom. She's got, it, it was hard to get rid of her. She was protecting her babies. But you know what? That's regular birds. But doves, they're very gentle. The slightest move, and the dove will fly away. And the fact that the dove is used as a symbol of the Holy Spirit, first of all, tells us that, you know what? The Holy Spirit is entirely non-threatening. And it's easy to set the Holy Spirit to flight. It conveys the idea that like a dove, the Holy Spirit is gentle. He will not force himself on any of us. 
And if he is resisted in any way, he will withdraw. So don't risk, resist the Holy Spirit. Jesus assures us there's nothing to be afraid of because our loving Heavenly Father only gives good gifts to his children. Third principle, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a gift we must ask for. Asking lays a hold of the willingness of God to give us the Holy Spirit. Jesus says in verse 13, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask it? Earthly parents like to give good gifts. If they're able, they like to give good gifts to their children. But he says, how much more? Because our heavenly Father is generous. He is good. He delights to bless us. So if earthly parents like to give good gifts to their kids, how much more our Heavenly Father? So what he's saying is that when we ask for the Holy Spirit, we don't have to twist the arm of a reluctant God to give us the gift of the Holy Spirit. He wants us to have it. So how much more will our Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them who ask him? It is his will for you to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's willing to baptize you in the Spirit. God wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit. One pastor says, there are no examples given in Scripture of individuals who did not receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit who sincerely and honestly desired to receive it and asked for it. Not one example of somebody that did not receive it when they desired and asked for it. According to Jesus, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is worth asking, seeking, and knocking for, and he promises that if we do that, we will receive. You need to settle that in your heart. You need to know in your spirit that God wants to give you this gift so that you can ask in faith. And asking in prayer is the verbal expression of the desire of our heart before God. Jesus encourages us to keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. That describes an intensification of our pursuit, right? At first we're like, Lord, fill me. And then we're like, Lord, I really want you to fill me. And then we're, Lord, fill me. It's an intensification of our desire. Asking and seeking and knocking is not a passive faith that just says, well, if you want me to have it, give it to me. No. It is an active faith that pursues all that God has promised to us. Asking, seeking, and knocking describes much more than just persistence in prayer. It describes a heart attitude of passionately pursuing the gift of the Holy Spirit. David expressed this attitude in his heart in Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. He says, as the deer pants for the streams of water. Now, you know, we see, you know, little Bambi strutting through the forest, but that's not what it's saying. This is a deer that is running from its life, probably from a predator, and knows that that deer has to get to water if it is going to survive. And the interesting thing is, not only does the deer need to get to the water to drink, but the deer, to escape the predator, needs to get to the water to submerge itself in the water so the predator will lose its scent. And this is a description of the desire of David's heart. He's saying, my soul pants for you. I'm pursuing you desperately because I need you, because the enemy is hot after me, and I need to submerge myself in your presence, oh God. See, that's the desire we're talking about. And in speaking about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, if any man is thirsty, 
let him come to me and drink. The word thirst and the image of a panting deer speaks of the desperate desire that we need to receive God's spirit, a holy longing to be filled with his presence and power. We need to keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking in faith. And Jesus says, everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. So folks, we need to pray. We need to seek. We need to knock in faith until we receive this marvelous gift. God wants you to have the gift of the Spirit more than you want it. And that's really the problem, isn't it? He wants to pour it out, but sometimes our desire is not strong enough. As eagerly as he wants to give us this incredible gift, he wants us to eagerly desire it as well. A pastor shared how he would never forget the response of a young man in his church when the young man first received the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. The pastor had previously spent many hours talking with the young man about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, answering the various questions that he had and teaching him about what it meant and what tongues was all about. But at the moment, when that young man finally experienced the baptism in the Holy Spirit for himself and began speaking in tongues, he had only one more question for the pastor. He looked up from the altar to the pastor's smiling face, tears running down his cheeks, and he asked, Pastor, why didn't you tell me it would be this wonderful? Folks, until you've experienced it, I can tell you it's wonderful, I can tell you it's marvelous, I can tell you it's incredible, but until you've experienced it, you will not know how glorious this experience is. If we truly understood how wonderful the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, if we truly understood how wonderful this gift, the best gift next to salvation is, we would eagerly desire it and we would passionately pursue it in prayer and not give up until we had received. And once we receive it, we will continue to seek so that we can continue to be filled with the Spirit. But the promise of the gift of the Holy Spirit is only available to, those, to the children of God, to those who have repented of their sins and placed their faith in Christ. Why? Because we've all sinned. And because of our sin, we are spiritually dead. We are cut off from God. That's the reason that Jesus came from heaven to earth. He lived a sinless life. And he gave his life on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. And the moment we repent and place our faith in Jesus... We are made spiritually alive. We are born again, and we are brought into connection, in relationship with God. And that is the beginning of a lifelong spiritual journey of learning to love and serve God. I want you to bow your heads with me for just a moment. If you're here today and you have never personally repented of your sins and placed your faith in Jesus, or maybe you did it some years ago and you've drifted away and you know that you need to come back, you can feel the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart and you would say, pray for me, Pastor. I want to come to Jesus. I want my sins to be forgiven and I want to be in right relationship with God. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up and just say, pray for me, Pastor. Pray for me. I want to come to Jesus. Hallelujah. Is there anyone this morning? Praise the Lord. 
praise the Lord. I'm going to assume that we're all saved then, and I'm going to talk to you because you're who Jesus is talking to. He wants you to have the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And if you would say this morning, Pastor, I want the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I want to be filled with the Holy Ghost, or I want to be refilled. If that's you this morning, would you just get up from where you are and just come to this altar and let us pray for you? You're saying, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want this wonderful gift. I want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. If that's you, just get up from where you are. Just make your way, or you want to be refilled with the Holy Spirit. Just make your way to the front, and let's just pray and believe God together that God is going to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. And as these come, I want to ask some of our prayer warriors, some of our um, prayer ministry, if you would come and if you would just pray together with these that are coming, we're going to believe the Lord to pour out his spirit. If you're at home listening and you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, just lift up both of your hands and you begin to ask the Lord. It's a thirst, a desire, then believing that this promise is for you, then asking for it, and once you ask him for it in faith, then just raise your hands to heaven and begin to worship him right out loud because he's not going to force your mouth open. Just worship him right out loud in your language. And as you sense the Holy Spirit begin to change, then you begin to allow him to speak through you. Everyone just begin to seek the Lord. And if we could have some of our prayer warriors and some of our prayer ministers to come and let's pray for these that are at the altar. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you for joining us today. If you were blessed by this message, would you consider giving a gift to help support our ministry? You can text any amount to 954-516-1522. That's 954-516-1522. Thank you, and we hope you will join us again.